Hello, my children. I'm back. Uh, you are in for another treat with part two of my conversation with my dear friend, Jake Shears. And I have a few notes before we jump right in today. Uh, there are some things that need some contextualization. So uh, Jason mentioned uh, love letters that you should wait to send. And I didn't catch that. And I thought that was also uh, really interesting um, because that was also something that you just wait for a minute that we talked about sending off, firing off a, a fiery email or the rants that I record on Insta story that I think mm, I'm going to wait on that. Um, you know, love letters also, um, you write them with passion and then you, you need to read over them and sleep on it for, for an evening it was a great suggestion from him. Uh, the book that we keep talking about is his memoir, Boys Keep Swinging. Um, it is a memoir that uh, was published by Atria Books, and I have it right here, uh, and it was published in 2018. Um, I actually like the book. I think it's a, a very thrilling memoir. Um, I would not be recommending it to you uh, just because he's my dear friend. Um, if it was shit, I wouldn't be saying it. So, boys, keep swinging. Check out it from your library. Purchase it. Um, however you want to do it. it. If you want to get your entire life and know what it was like to be a young, gay, Hollywood-lightly in New York City in the early 2000s and what that whole music scene was like and celebrity culture and gay bars at that time and what it's like to start a pop rock group and become a global superstar uh, from a personal point of view, you read this fucking memoir. It's amazing. Once again, Boris Keeps Swinging on Antria Books. He did not ask me to do that. I am not a paid endorser. Uh, the book's just that great. Um, I mentioned Alice Wu, and I talk about her. Um, I said that I misquoted her, and I think I mentioned that, but I wanted to clarify that. I said that she said, I don't know anything, you don't know anything. What Alice Wu was saying when she was interviewed by them magazine, where she was saying that when she was with these executives, these top film executives, they were saying, she was saying that we don't know how things are going to turn out by this decision, this decision that the, them, that, that the Senate wants her to make, right, this group of executives. She's saying, look, we could do it your way, but we don't know how that's going to turn out. We could do it my way. We don't know how that's going to turn out. So since I don't know how it's going to turn out and you don't know how it's going to turn out, then I'll just bet on myself, that would have been a better way to say it rather than, I don't know anything and you don't know anything, but you get the idea. Um, something I noticed, and I am aware of this myself, but it, it became crystal clear in this recording that when I am processing something that I'm saying mid-speech, I will rephrase it and repeat it. And um, I heard it regarding Blake Edwards casting Asian women in the apartment scene and race and cognitive dissonance. I kept repeating it in a different way because I'm working through it. So that's what that was. Um, Jake Shear's friend, Nisham, uh, passed away. And yes, may God may he rest in peace about a month before the previous, um, the previous podcast that you listened to. So God bless him, a wonderful um, black gay man. Another one gone. Um, Jake and our talk, and I, I keep 
I'm hesitating because I, I know him as Jason, but I will call him Jay because I think it makes more sense to you. So Jay comes to the realization for the first time in his life that he was the minority and his racism and his false perceptions of black people were affecting him when he lived in Crown Heights. And um, I thought that was kind of marvelous um, because cisgender white gay men don't call that out. Uh, and he mentioned a very important book by Ibram Kendi, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Uh, Ibram Kendi is a professor at American University, and he won the National Book Award for Nonfiction in 2016. Brilliant young black man. Check out the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Uh, all of my um, people who want to be more uh, aware and people who want to be anti-racists. And that is true. I mean, all due respect to Professor Kendi. Uh, he's not the first person to say this, but I think it needs to be said as many times as it should be said. You're either uh, dismantling racism or you're upholding it, period. Doesn't You're either anti-racist or you're not. That's it. Um, and then the last thing, uh, so, oh, we got to talk about a podcast, and I couldn't remember the name of it because I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of scholarly articles. I read a lot of books, and sometimes it's hard for me to remember, now, what periodical did I read that in? What book review? What book? What podcast? So I had to go back through our text messages, which are quite lengthy. We text a lot. And um, it it was from January 22nd. Well, it was from the podcast, Ask Code Switch, and it was the January 22nd episode of that podcast called What About Your Friends, where we talked about interracial friendships being important. Okay, that's all of the contextual notes you need. Now, enjoy part two of my conversation with Jake Shears. Uh, you will find out why I call this Power of the Pussy, and uh, we'll also subtitle it Look Back in Horror. That will make sense as you hear the conversation. Enjoy. Things that I'll, I'll record something and go, you know what? Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not post that. It's, been, it's like kind of it's like kind of like arguing over email. Yeah. <laughs> it's like writing that letter where you tell somebody everything. And then you're like, you know what? I'm gonna sleep on this one tonight yeah. and see how this looks in the morning. Yeah. And and ninety-nine times out of a hundred. Uh, you'll look at it yeah. and you'll yeah. be like, "Thank God I didn't send yeah. that." Because in the moment, that also that's that also remains true with love letters as well. Mm, <laughs> amen to that. Oof. Oof. But what we were talking about reminds me. So yesterday, I, what led me to watch Alice Wu's film, the half of it, was I saw her in an Insta story, interviewed by um, a reporter at Them magazine. Mm, I'm not familiar with that. I wasn't either. It's a, it's a great name. Somehow it came across my Insta story feed. I have no idea because I wasn't even following them. Uh, so I really have no idea how it came to me, but thank God it did. And she was talking about um, this movie and she said something that I thought was so brilliant. And it's sort of the opposite sign of the coin from what we just said. I do believe you should always consider that you can be wrong. But she was saying, this was her second uh, independent film was not independent, her, her second film that she's ever made. Once again, I said she's already, she's 50. And because of that, a lot of um, executives at Netflix were telling her all of these things she should do to her movie. You know, you need to rewrite this scene, you should do this, you should do that, all these ideas. And she was saying, you know, as a gay um, Asian woman, 
uh, when I hear these critiques about the plot or the story or even choices I was making on set from executive producers, nobody knows anything. I don't know anything. You don't know anything. So if I don't know any, I'm paraphrasing it. I'm probably butchering it, but it came close to, if I don't know anything and you don't know anything, then why don't I just bet on myself and make the choice that I want to make and see if it works. And now this movie is a hit. And she was going through, she didn't explicitly give details, but the, she was saying that all the decisions that they were telling me I should make because they knew better, they had been in the movie business for a long time, were the exact things that were opposite of what people love about the film. You know, they wanted- And- and Go ahead. And, and I think to, like to that, to, to that point, I mean, I think creatively, um, I think that that's, I think definitely create, like in, in the creative sense, you know, you have to listen to those. You've got to listen to those things. Yes. And, and inner voice and, is very and, important. Yeah. 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 Because at least, at least this is what I've always said about like making records and making music. And like, at least, at least if you are wrong, you've only got yourself, you know, right? you've only got yourself Wouldn't to blame. Wouldn't you rather quote unquote fail on your own than like the project tank because you didn't even follow your own instincts? That would be the worst. Exactly. And that's, that's a lesson that I've, you know, learned over the years, just creatively and, you know, not in a huge way, but just like, you know, there's decisions that, that, that I made sort of based on other people's thoughts and, and have gone back and been like, you know what, I really, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Wasn't. And why did I do that? And I look back and regret it. So it's like, I really keep that in mind when I'm doing you know, for, for, for creative work and just, um, well, when I came out of, um, grad school and I was applying for, um, jobs for teaching jobs, I was getting so many, so much advice from people that I really, really respect in academia and practitioners and in theater who kind of sit in that space between, you know, professional directing and teaching in school. And they were saying, you know, you really may want to tone down your activism or you really want, may want to like tone down how femme you are at times. And like, you know, you're just, gestic- you gesticulate a lot with your arms and your hand. I mean, they were basically saying like, go back into the closet. Yeah, like you, butch it up. Like, take, butch mm-hmm. it up, take the black off your resume. Mm-hmm. I had someone tell me that. Oh, wow. Like, you have a lot of black social justice stuff on here. You need to, you should probably take that off your resume. If you're submitting resumes to like to teach at the Ivy League or something, you really want to take all that out. Like I was getting all this crazy advice. Wow. And I and you know, for a while I listened to them because they they knew quote unquote knew better than I did, mm-hmm. right? They were they were in tenured faculty positions, so they knew what the fuck they were talking about. And during that period, I was working more doing equity contracts and making independent film and in that lane. So I wasn't really teaching every once in a while, but not really concerned about all that. But then when I decided to, that I wanted to teach full time, um, I said, you know what, this is stupid. Like I am gay. I am an activist. That's like my whole resume. So what the hell am I? (laughs) I finally looked at my CV and it looked empty because Mm. I had taken everything that was black and activism and gay off of it. All the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so people, so I wasn't getting like called into interview for anything because people were like, well, you have the degrees, but you haven't done shit. Mm. You know, so, yeah. so I had to 
put I made it made the resume actually look like Billy Flood. And then I started getting interviews and and everything. So it was like, oh, well, if I had just been me the whole time and not listened to these people, then perhaps I would have would have other things would have happened. But even even having said that, the the experiences that I had during that time, I'm so thankful for mm. um, the work that I created and that I was a part of, blessed to be a part of in that period, I would never want to trade for having a, uh, a position like I'm in now earlier. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, exactly. But um, back to Breakfast at Tiffany's, let me bring us back for a minute. We, um, race is really interesting in the film. Mm-hmm. And since, my, since that's kind of what I, not kind of, since this podcast addresses race and blackness, I wanted to talk about, um, and this sort of ties into your memoir too, like what are your, what has been your experience of race? <laughs> this is such a light question. <laughs> what is what has been your experience of like whiteness in your life? And like what is when I say like your experience of race or how how race affects you, what does that bring up for you? Um, and then we can go into how race is looked at in the film from both of our perspectives. But I just want to look like for Jason personally, like what well, you know, I grew up on a on a really small island in the Northwest. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the, I mean, and the whitest of the whitest. Like, there's, there's <laughs> you know, like, I don't know if there was a single black person on the island. Like, you know, in the, Wonder Bread Island. Okay. That's actually a really good way. <laughs> Wonder Bread Island. Um. <laughs> You know, there was, there was, there was, uh, you know, there was, uh, uh, I feel like there was a, um, you know, the, the, there was an openness there, but I just was not diverse yeah. Um, yeah. by any means. So, you know, when I, and, and then when I, when I came out, when I was in Arizona, I was back in Arizona when I was 15 years old. I went from there to Arizona for a school year. Mm-hmm. At another, you know, in Mesa, Arizona, which, um, you know, had a, a high Latinx population, um, right. but right. Uh, also also very 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 white, um, yeah. you know, and, and and very, very very a lot of uh, a, a big Mormon community there. Right. Um, so you know, I I I I wasn't until I really kind of went to Seattle and went to a, uh, mm-hmm. I, I went to a high school called the Northwest School of, mm-hmm. um, of Arts, Humanities, and the Environment. Yeah. And we had our, you know, uh, we put together a, a multicultural festival my junior year of mm-hmm. high school. And uh, that was like, just being in Seattle at that time, it was definitely, I mean, Seattle's mm-hmm. pretty white as well. But my school was, right. my school was more diverse. I mean, I had never... I had like never really known even like what what a Jewish person like or I hadn't so you know like in my wild. in my daily life like I I didn't I you know there there weren't wild. even any Jewish people around. Um, it's so wild, to uh, me. just like oh, it's, I, it's crazy. It's wild. You know, so, it's so I grew up in a very kind of homogenous homogenous way, and I really. Um, you know, my, the, the school that I went to, my junior and senior year of high school, 
um, it was, it was, it was an, an amazing school and it was very, uh, this was just a, uh, as part of the curriculum, um, was, you know, was about race. And, um, that was, a you know, this, the student body, um, was very diverse. And so it was kind of so my this first. Sounds like a, was this a public like magnet school as well? No, this was a, this is not a public school. This is a private school. Very small. Okay, it was that's like, what I thought. I was like I, trying to think about the memoir. I was like, I thought it was a private school. I had okay. like, I had, there was, there was, but we had a, di we had a diverse student base. There was, there was, uh, yeah. you know, there was, um, uh, you know, we had a great financial aid program there. Uh, so we had an, uh, nice. an, an awesome, you know, uh, and we had, I was living in a boarding house with um, mostly South, students from South Korea. Um, uh, so it was, you know, as, as I was, I was coming out and, uh, and being in school, I just feel like there was a, I'm very thankful for the fact that I wasn't still <laughs> on the island in so many ways. <laughs> and that, you know, and that I wasn't in, in, you know, in Mesa, Arizona, um, in that same situation. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm very, I'm thankful for, uh, you know, where life led me in that way. And then I moved to New York when I was 20. Um, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. But, and then, uh, then there's the explosion with uh, diversity there. Yeah. But also <laughs> before that, I went to a, um, I went to uh, Occidental for my freshman year of college uh -huh. in uh, Eagle Rock in Los Angeles. And uh, I was invited that summer to, uh, you know, right before my freshman year of college, they had a, like a six week program over the summer called the Multicultural Summer Institute. And it was taught by the main sociologist there. And uh, there was about 30 of us. Um, there was, you know, uh, uh, th yeah, there's about 30 students, um, all, you know, all from different places in the world. Uh, all different sexualities, mm -hmm. all different races. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that really, I felt like, uh, broke stuff down for me in a, in a way uh, that still, that I hadn't heard yet. Uh -huh. um, and really kind of opened my eyes to certain things I hadn't seen yet. Um, so I, you know, we were, uh, you know, we were going to, we were going to stomp, you know, and, nice. and, and, and like, and, and, you know, I, I remember the professors like breaking it down yeah. and, and that was like a real, I remember that was such an eye opener to me. Um, yeah. and just as, as far as like putting on a, trying to see, trying to see things open up your perspective and not look at something as just like a, like a thing like stomp. There's, there's deeper meanings in all of this stuff. It's not just, you can't just look right. at something like this at face value. Where are these dances coming from? What do they mean? Who are these, what, what kind of characters are these betraying? How come the one black guy in this is betrayed as an idiot? That yeah. kind of it's thing. Not an, it, <laughs> you know it's I mean? not an abstraction. Like it comes, there are tropes that come somewhere for a reason. Yes. The semiotics of it all. Yes. Which is, and what so I for the, so that in my life was the first time that I feel like I, 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 that it sort of opened up where I, where I was 
being where I was, I was examining, you know, things in culture and, you know, mm-hmm. and just as, you know, we look at, you know, breakfast at tip back to breakfast at Tiffany's the other day, um, Ooh, you know, girl. which is so why it's, <laughs> it's so, um, you know, it's so, I was, you know, I, I, I had heard, you know, there's, I remember, I know that there's rumblings about, I about Mickey Rooney, um, yeah. playing this character. Mr. Uniyoshi. Uh, Mr. Oh, Uniyoshi, yeah. which by the way, which is so interesting because, you know, I was thinking back on this character, there's no reason for him to even be in this film. Is there? No, I mean, the, the, the character is in the, is in the novella. Yes. I do remember that. So the character is in Truman Capote's book. However, right, it's a throwaway. Like, there is no reason for, I mean, I would have to, I have not read the novella literally since high school. But I don't recall the character being important enough to, 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 to be shown in the play. And it seems like Blake Edwards really wanted to have this racist comic relief, which he has since, I did Google, do some research, he has since apologized for and mm. said, we totally got that wrong. You know, if I made that movie today, I mean, this was a few years ago, years ago, um, you know, we, we would have, that just would not have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wanted this comic relief character. And um, as we had touched on when we watched it, I mean, we just... The uh, the Japanese internment camps just ended in 1946. Mm. This movie is 61, so it was just 15 years apart. So it's just still mind blowing that, with that being so recent in American history, for you to do that is like, really, that's the choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, it, it's just so crazy. Like you're so right. There's, he serves no real function but to be an exoticized other racial caricature like that's it yeah he has no real function in the show whatsoever except to let them into the building which anybody could they could just hit the buzzer and some random person lets them into them but like it's just not necessary for that to happen um and then we 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 noticed that in the party scene in holly galetley's apartment there's an actual there are two asian women in these, once again, like exoticized, like, um, I always forget the name of that dress. Those sequins, the very, those, those sequins on it sure were cool. <laughs> fierce, fierce, very tight fitting. I mean, their bodies were banging. They looked like, I mean, they looked like her fellow escorts, really. Mm. Like, it looked, and that, come to think of it now, that party is basically like Holly with a party of like her working girls' friends, I think. Yeah, probably. I, think, I mean, I think her, that, that, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, right? Like, I'm going to throw a party, girls. We're going to come all over. We'll all hook a, our pay for the evening. And then, you know, you'll leave and take them somewhere else. Yes. You know? Um, so it's all of her friends. And so it's like, so why do you choose to have actual Asian actors? Oh, so you can find them, Blake Edwards. Okay. So in this scene, you have real Asian actors and then you have a white man in yellow face upstairs because it was just kind of this bizarre cognitive dissonance uh, of that's such a pointed choice. So you made that choice on purpose. Yes. Because uh, clearly you had access to Asian actors. So why, why make that choice? Um, I also wanted to talk about race because in your in your memoir, and we've had lightly touched on this, you have like two sort of scenes that stuck out in my mind at least. Um, 
where you've specifically mentioned people being black. And I just wanted to touch on that a bit. One was um, your friend, the bartender uh, at Wonderland Bar. Yeah, and Nisham, Sean, God rest his soul, he just died. He just died. Oh, my God, that's right. He just, he, he, right. he died about, um, you know, he passed away. Uh, yeah, it was about, about a month, I guess, about a month ago. I mean... Oh, he's got those wonderful, the Wonder Woman. Uh, yes, drag, that's, right? that's him. Oh, that's gorgeous. him. He was gorgeous. incredible. Um, yeah. So, so in the book, like, so after, after I spent that year at Occidental, I, you know, ended up in New York. And right when I moved to New York, I ended up living in you Crown, Crown Heights. Heights. Yeah, uh, which is very black, tradition, historically black, like very, very black. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, it's something that I write about in the book. Uh, you do. About... You own up to your um, bullshit racism, I think, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, where, where <laughs> it's just, it's, exactly. It, it, it's this, you call it out. It was this, it was this thing where I was like, oh, I'm scared. And, ha you know, at, but, but at the same time, it was, you know, I, I was also a, a, a flaming faggot wandering around. Uh, you know, on, yeah. on my own uh, most yeah. of the time. So it was a struggle, like in my head, it was sort of a, you know, why am I scared? How much am I scared? Is this, you know, this is just because I, you know, is this because am I really in danger right now? Am I, you know, how much of this is the fact that this is, that I've never been, you know, I, I, that I've never yeah. been in a situation like this before. Um, so here's the sentence. Here's the sentence that you that you wrote that I said. Okay, I this this guy is. I can I can I can fuck with Jason. He's awesome. Uh, you said how much uh, did I need to? I'm reading from your memoir. Did I need to try and pass a straight? Uh, how much of it was my own racist bullshit, and how much of it was grounded in reality? I thought, wow, that's um, that's a rare like admittance that you don't hear often from cisgender gay white men of saying like, okay, well, I need to examine this shit, mm. you know? Um, and I think that's where we're trying to get, I think, well, at least I, know, I won't say we, I'll speak in I messages. I am trying to get my white friends to always examine that, you know, like, yeah, it is this really because I feel unsafe or because I have been taught by society that black people are dangerous and I should therefore should not live in this neighborhood. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah. and that's, you know, that's something that I, you know, thought it was really important to write about and something that I, yeah. uh, you know, that was, um, it, it's also interesting because after you read the, after you read the book, you brought something up to me that I thought was interesting that I hadn't thought about. And it was, uh, you know, mentioning that my friends, uh, Nisham and my friend Seth were black. Um, yeah. and, and the woman, there's a piece about a woman, a pretty black woman on the street or something. I just thought, why do you need to? Well, that was in, re that was in relation to the Crown Heights thing. That was the, that was, yeah. that was, that was because I, as a, that I asked her, I said, do you, do you feel safe in this neighborhood? And that's, that was just in oh, relation. Right. I asked her, if she felt safe in the neighborhood. And I remember that's she right. said, it's been really good to me. Her, her look kind of convicted you because you were like, oh shit. Well, it just yeah. it, it just also made me realize it was just like another one of those moments where I realized that I was carrying my racism to the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, my 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 racist ideas to the neighborhood. And that moment yeah. was uh, was I just I'll never forget that moment, you know. And, yeah. you know, I think that fact that she was, you know, black was 
uh, is an important part of that moment. Um, yeah. uh, you know, but it's interesting, you know, because I, you, you said that, and, and it, it, I found it, uh, you know, it's something that I've thought about a lot since we've had that conversation you, is you said, you know, when I, when I, when I talk about, uh, spoke about Nisham's blackness or Seth's blackness, uh, you said, it, it, am I correct? And you said that it sort of pulled you out of the narrative in a way. Is that correct? Yeah, it, yeah, it did. And I'm trying to remember, Lord, if I could pull up the, the text, but it was from so long ago. Yes, it did, because it seemed like, because I was going back through the text and it's like you, 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 sometimes you'll mention, well, someone is French or someone is, but you very rarely, I did find a few spots. You just said, oh, this guy I met named John, blah, 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 blah. Yes. Like, okay, well, see, I don't. So because you don't mention John's race, I know that John is white. Yes. Because white is, has been made normative here. Exactly. Because when someone is not white, you say what their race is. Yes. And that's and that yeah. that I feel like that's, um, you know, that uh, that really just thinking about that. It's uh, I, I thought a lot about that since since we talked about it. And it really it's funny yeah. that it's like this assumed it's 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 just sort of an assumption on the reader in a certain part or an assumption Always. yeah it's an, it's an assumption on um it, it, it's just assuming that everyone's kind of looking to, it's just assumed that you know everyone's white unless i say that they are you know and, yeah and that and i think i shared with you that i mean we all have that because we're all socialized too we all have that bias like when i one of my favorite books is the wizard of oz nowhere in the book does it say dorothy gale is white mm. it says she's from kansas well there were black people in kansas at the turn of the century there were mm. yeah so but we just assume that dorothy gale is white yes right um you just assume that yeah yeah and that's i mean and that's it, it really uh and you know, with this book, oh my God, I mean, I really did, you know, it, it's funny. It's like you, I, I've been loving this book by Ibram X. Kendi. I've been reading called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And it's so interesting mm. how I love his, he really like defines things in very clear language and how, mm -hmm. how, how that there's no such thing as not racist. Right. You know, it's either right. something that is contributing towards racist ideology uh -huh. and racist policy, or it's anti-racist. You're either upholding or dismantling. You can't straddle the fence. And yeah. that, that I feel, I just, I, I, I really have have been getting a lot out of this book. Um, and I think it's something that I think it's something that I feel like. Everybody should fucking read this book. <laughs> it's so, uh, yeah. it's so, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good, and also it's 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 what I love about about sort of one of the ideas that he talks about is like this is something that you that that one never achieves. That it's something that you strive for, and it's about it's a practice. It's a practice, yeah. and it's about it's about constant examination of yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's about mm -hmm. going back to that thing. Sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, the way that you uh, look at a piece of work or the way that you interact with someone or the way that, you know, it, 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 it comes through in every facet of life. And yeah. it's a, you know, it's a practice of self-examination. It's also, you know, I... I um 
I don't know. I just, I, I you, you sent me a podcast once that I really uh, got a lot out of, and I can't remember who, who, who made it. But it was interesting. It was about, it was, <laughs> no, but it was, it was, it was a podcast. You really got a lot out of it, I see. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it was, the subject of it was, uh, was friendships of people of different races. Um, Do you remember that? The subject, the subject yes. was the dynamic between friendships of, of different races and, and dialogues and how those, how, how, you know, how these conversations happen, how important these conversations, mm-hmm. how important a, a dialogue, a constant dialogue is. And mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I really, I agree with that. I think that it's a, um, I think it's examining, it's talking um, and you know, I, I think your read on my book was a, it was a great, it's a great, it's a really good read and I take it. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I was very happy for the fact that Jake, um, is reading How to Be an Anti-Racist. I think it should be read by everyone. And I didn't mean everyone because there's a lot of black people who because of internalized racism are practicing racism within. There's a lot of um, learned anti-blackness that we have to unlearn and unpack and decolonize our own minds as well as white people. So everybody should read How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's a fabulous read. I also, I feel like I'm getting a better grasp on, and this comes up in the interview that I just did with Alicia Reve-like. I'm so excited for you to hear next week. Um, I'm getting my head wrapped around the jewels of this film and why this is one of my favorite movies. And I'm not going to tell you that yet. It comes out in the interview with Alicia-like, so... Um, but but it's it's really in hearing this conversation again, this second part, I was getting more of a grasp of a handle on, huh? Yeah, that is why I like that scene, or that is why that appeals to me. And uh, what can I say? Thank you, Jake, for giving me the title uh, of this this segment of the series, Power of the Pussy. The Great Flood has spoken.